That is Sandro Silva serenading the Canadian woman he fell in love with over a decade ago. He spent hundreds of hours last winter practicing the Brazilian banjo in an effort to keep the winter blues at bay. And then another week was minus 36. Oh my God. So it's, it's hard, you know. It's, um, there is nothing to do on the street. He wants to learn 10 samba songs by summer so he can play at least an hour of music in her backyard. Today on Countless Journeys, Sheena Rossiter and her husband Sandro share with us their story of meeting, falling in love, and the ups and downs of living in a country that's completely new to you. I'm your host, Mark Sakamoto, and stories of love and family are up next. Countless journeys. I felt like it was home. It represented, you know, the kindness and compassion and generosity that came to symbolize, you know, Canada. When I fell asleep that night, I felt settled, I felt safe, I felt I could make this work. Our family is just so enriched by having him be a part of it, so we're as grateful as he is. This country, Canada, who has donné tout, il I need to give it to this I arrived here in December 46, and I will never, ever regret it. <laughs> never. J'ai vraiment réalisé la force de ce pays, la générosité de ce pays, l'ouverture qu'a ce pays, et surtout cette sensation de paix et de calme. Everywhere I travel now, there's no place like coming home to Canada. Welcome to Countless Journeys, where we share the stories of newcomers to Canada from decades past to present day. And we're starting things off with a look back at a very special time for thousands of men and women whose lives were completely and profoundly changed by the Second World War. Wish me luck as you wave me goodbye. Cheerio, here I go on my way. Another party of Canadian servicemen's wives and kiddies are off to their new homes across the sea. By boat train, they leave London for the port of embarkation. Since 1939, some 24,000 British girls have married Canadians. 3,000 of them already have been sent to Canada by the Department of Immigration. Young sons and daughters of the Dominion will grow up in the Canadian way of life for which Daddy is fighting on many a shell-torn field. 24,000 war brides. And what an impact on countless communities across Canada, as well as, of course, families. Countless Journeys producer, Tina Petaway, joins me on this episode devoted to all things love and family. Thanks, Mark. And yeah, 24,000 war brides. It's incredible. And that was only partway through the war. Now, did they all come through Pier 21? They did. So because they were military dependents, they were all processed here. And then most of them headed off to Points West. 44,000 war brides and 21,000 children, a lot of them babies. That's Carrie Ann Smith, the vice president of audience engagement at the museum. She showed me the war bride display case. It's a small exhibit with the centerpiece being, think something that says bride. The centerpiece of this case is Mary Hook's wedding dress. It's a beautiful dress. People used to be smaller and there was rationing. So what always strikes me about this dress is how tiny the waist is. 
uh, her father, her stepfather had this dress made for her, which is unique because that was a luxury that most of the war brides didn't have. A lot of them shared dresses and 10 girls would be married in the same dress. Now the owner of this dress, Mary Hook, you didn't meet her, but you did get to speak with another war bride still living in Halifax? That's right. Yeah, because my name is Gladys Merrigan. I am a war bride, and I arrived here in December 46, and I will never, ever regret it. <laughs> never. Gladys is in her 90s, and I met her at her home in Fairview. You can still hear that uh, hint of English accent. You can, even after all of these years. Now, Fairview is a suburban Halifax neighborhood. Gladys's house is on the same property she moved to with her late husband, Bill. He, he was a Canadian soldier she met in England, and of course, they married. Now, Gladys grew up in a big old brick house in Surrey, about an hour and a half southwest of London. She didn't lose anyone in her family to the bombings during the war, but they were frightening times. We really had a terrible time of it. They were like, we were only young. I was only extra young then. And, I mean, every time the siren went, we were under the table. We all, the children, had to get under the great big table. We lost every window in our house because the bomb fell just over the outside of it. But I don't like thinking about those days anymore. Wasn't very nice. <laughs> and how did she meet Bill? Well, like so many war brides, at a dance. One of the old war bride dances. Yeah, it was nice. And we met, and he never could dance. Isn't that funny? I was crazy over dancing, and he never could dance. Oh, I was 18 when I got married to him, and he was just 22 days after he was 21. <laughs> And then after I met him, of course, I think we saw each other just about every day. <laughs> My mother and father adored him. That's why they let me come here. Leaving family, your parents behind, that's always difficult. But so much more in those days. I mean, you're not flying home for the holidays. That's right. Now, one thing Gladys said, which I thought was really evocative, was that she didn't hear her parents' voices for years. But I was so happy to have the husband I had. He was a wonderful person. Wow. Now, I understand that Bill was already in Canada when Gladys came over. He was. Now, the war was over, so he'd been sent home. War brides like Gladys were dependents of military personnel, so the government covered the cost of their crossing. <laughs> Bill and Gladys actually came over on the same ship, the Samaria, but at different times. He was already in Canada when she boarded. It must have been just so terribly frightening and exciting at the same time. Well, Carrie Ann at the museum told me that many war brides loved the food on board. Something that comes up over and over again in their stories because of rationing. They were very taken with fresh fruit, especially one bride talks about eating pounds and pounds of bananas and white dinner rolls because they didn't have flour in the UK during the war. And how was Gladys's Crossing? Not so great. The trip, it took a week. And it wasn't very nice. And I was stuck in a room where I had to sit. There was other people in there on the trip. And I had to go up on the next level, like there's a bed here. and a, What do they call bunks like? Yeah. And there was a woman below me with a little tiny kid. So I didn't get much sleep. <laughs> and other than being with Bill, of course, things didn't really look any better when she got to Halifax. I arrived here just at Christmas, yeah. And I came over to a horrible little place. 
If I could have gone back, I probably would. <laughs> it was just, see, they, nobody, there was no houses, none of these, nothing. It was an old, old land. There was one old house down there, which is a big one now because they built on it. But otherwise, no, this was nothing here. It was all woods around. And uh, that was a lovely big yard down there. But on the back of that, you see, it was just that little old house. And there was no room. It was a miserable little old house. And the only heat you had was a little stove in the kitchen and a little tiny thing in the living room. I don't know, a little round thing. I don't know. All I know, I was shocked. <laughs> but I wouldn't have left him for the world. Through it all, she was she was just really clinging to love. Absolutely. Gladys was the only one of the war brides on the ship who actually stayed in Halifax. The rest all got on trains for other parts of the country. Now, some of them joked that the city girls all went to farms and the farm girls wound up in big cities. (laughs) Switching places there. Yes. Now, you said Gladys lives in the same place in Fairview as when she first came over. I assume it's been upgraded a bit since the days when it was, as she put it, a terrible little place. <laughs> now, Gladys talked about Bill's skill a few times. But he was wonderful. He could do anything. My God, he could do just about anything. One of those things was build a new house for them and eventually their four kids. And it's clear that she's proud of Bill's handiwork. He built all this by himself. Oh, I don't know how he done it because it's a really strong house. And the fact, I always say it's the strongest one on the street. It is. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I believe that. Yeah, yeah, it is. He built a beautiful, strong house. I mean, it don't look like that, looking at it. But it is a really good house. Oh, my back, God, Ron and Jane, you got it. They got it moving. And when she put the thing And aside. I couldn't move. See, you come around, have a look. Okay. Gladys has a bit of trouble getting around. And the day I went to visit, her son-in-law had just finished repairing the lift that lets her get up and down the stairs. <laughs> she sounds very happy about that. It was her freedom mobile. <laughs> now, she really was. Gladys is very independent, as you can tell. And that lift makes life at home so much easier for her. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Does she have a lot of memorabilia at her house? Well, you know, actually, she seemed a bit embarrassed and apologetic about that. There's some pictures everywhere I've got. But I thought it was wonderful. There's my husband, and there's my friend, and they're all, we all had a beautiful time. Let's see what that one says. Oh, I didn't write on the back of it. That's Bill there, my husband, years later. That's me when I first came over. And these, this is Bill with his old buddies. And there, Bill, and that's my sister's pictures everywhere I've got. Gladys said that a lot of the other war brides she came over with headed to other parts of Canada. I know that some of the war brides were very close-knit. Did Gladys stay in touch with many of them? She did, and not only that. I was a photographer, you know, for the war brides. Oh, I didn't I know. I was the only one, yeah. I was the one who took all the war brides. <laughs> she became something of a chronicler of the group as she went to reunions. Here they are. We had dances. We had all kinds of fun. Yeah, 89 reunion. We had lots of fun together. I knew every one of these, of course. <laughs> but anyway, we had lots of good times. Beautiful. Lots of dances, lots of parties. That's me there. <laughs> there I am again. Yeah. 
she was a keeper of their memories. Absolutely. Now, almost all her old friends are gone now, but there is another war bride, Joan, who she visits at the Camp Hill Veterans Hospital in Halifax. And what about Bill? How did he do after the war? Well, Bill had a long career working for Cunard, the shipping company that actually owned the Samaria. And that's the ship that Gladys and Bill both came over on. Now, Gladys said he worked about 40 years after the war ended, but he ultimately died of a wound he'd gotten in combat. Hmm. Uh, He died of a war wound decades later. That's right. It really says something about the ongoing tragedy of war. It doesn't end when the fighting stops. It sure doesn't. Moving to a new country, all dislocation, surviving the war, learning to live in a new country... Any one of those things could haunt someone for the rest of their life, but it doesn't sound like Gladys regretted any of it. Not one bit. I never regret it. And I love it in Canada. And I go, I've made many trips back, but I don't want, I would never want to go back and live there. I would never have gone back to live. I never would have gone back. No. Wish me luck and you wave me goodbye. Our next story truly shows that love knows no borders, doesn't it, Tina? That's right. This is a love story that crosses continents from a couple that now calls Edmonton home. Sandro Silva is originally from Sao Paulo, Brazil. That's him practicing Brazilian banjo in the background, which you'll hear a bit more about later. And Sandro's wife... My name's Sheena Rossiter, and I live in Edmonton. ...was born and raised in the Alberta capital. But their love story actually started in the UK back in 2008. Oh, okay. What were they doing there? Well, they were both living there at the time. Sandro was in London learning English. He was a lawyer back in Brazil, and he really wanted to learn English because he wanted to expand into international law. And Sheena was getting her master's degree, and then she started working as a financial journalist. But how they met was ruled by laws of attraction more than anything. I'll let Sheena tell the story of how they met. Basically, my roommate at the time who was from Belgium she won two free tickets to go to this bar in London called Guanabara just like Guanabara Bay in Rio de Janeiro it was a Brazilian bar where they had live music so we got two free tickets two free caipirinhas which is the Brazilian cocktail and all was fine and dandy and when I was in there I saw this guy dancing who had great dimples And me and my roommate, Karen, were both kind of ogling him a little bit. But then I realized he was dancing kind of with everybody in there. So I I, I just assumed that, well, he had a girlfriend innocently. But uh, no, he was just dancing with everybody. And then eventually it was my turn to dance. I was lucky number 32 or something like that. I realized he didn't speak English. But Karen, she had done an internship in Brazil. So she spoke Portuguese. And so she kind of translated a bit of our conversation. 
Wow. So when they first met, they didn't even speak the same language. <laughs> That's right. And remember, this was 2008. So before we had readily available translation apps yeah. like Google Translate to learn yeah. to, to lean on when you don't speak the other person's language. So Sandra was lucky. He had a bit of translation help to get Sheena's phone number. I was in London just for a couple of um, weeks. Then then a friend of mine invited me to go, like, you know, check it out, you know, go out of the city and stuff. So let's go for a Brazilian pub where I could feel more comfortable, right? Listening to the music and the culture and everything. So I went there and eventually I was dancing. I saw the lovely lady across the, you know, the room and then, okay, I'm gonna check it out. And uh, <laughs> the rest is kind of story now. Yeah, even then, even then I couldn't speak any word in English. So I had uh, help from her friends actually. She actually spoke great Portuguese. So without the lovely lady there, I wouldn't be able to really communicate and then the story would never happen. Well, who knew having a roommate from Belgium who spoke Portuguese would inadvertently become your matchmaker for your future husband? Yeah, the randomness of life is pretty astounding. So after that fateful meeting in a Brazilian bar, did they start dating with Sheena's roommate acting as the chaperone slash translator for all their dates? Well, not quite. They didn't actually start dating until over a year later. And remember, they had no mutual friends. So it was over a year without any contact. So how did that happen? I'll let Sandro tell that story. We met that day and then um, I couldn't go like further than trying to say a few words in, in Portuguese for her friend. But luckily I could uh, get her phone number. But I couldn't get a hold of her because she kind of got scared. And then I just gave up. And then interesting part is that a year later I just got a new phone and then I had forgot about her frankly and then I just got a new phone I was exchanging my my old contacts to my new phone then because I didn't have this sync connection we have these days so I was putting one by one back and I said oh, who is this lady again and then I saw her number and I said wait a minute I'm just gonna text because then one year in going to school every day my English was enough to say more than just hi or bye. Actually, message her, and then she replied right away. It was like, mm, might be like mistakes. I messaged again, she replied again, and again, and then, you know what, that's call. Even though it wasn't great English, I could understand. So a year later, without seeing each other, frankly. So I just, um, let's go meet up. So that lack of technology in 2008 is what helped bring them together as a couple. It sure did. So they meet up. How did their first date go? According to Sheena, pretty well. The joke is kind of like, he had me at Haiti. We met up for the date and we went to the pub in Camden Town. And at the time, the earthquake, unfortunately, had just happened in Haiti. When we were going on our date and we were trying to get in the conversation to chat a little bit, he turns and says to me, he's like, and what about the people of Haiti? And I was like, oh my gosh, you like current events? So that was kind of the moment, I guess, was when I realized that he also liked current events and he was more than just dimples. So they start to date in London. And how did they end up in Edmonton? Well, only after nearly a seven-year stint in Brazil. That is quite the detour. How did that happen? Well, after several months of dating in London, Sandro had to go back to Brazil because of uh, visa issues, actually. And he invited Sheena to go to Sao Paulo, and she accepted. In early 2011, Sheena then had a one-way ticket to Sao Paulo. But it was a big step for her. I had never been to South America before. So the closest I got to Brazil was just looking it up on the internet. 
And I tried to prepare as much as I could before I got to Brazil. Obviously, I had Brazilian friends. I asked a lot of questions. I would talk to Sandra all the time. But when I got there, I realized that the internet doesn't prepare you for the real thing, of course. I can imagine it was a bit of a culture shock. Absolutely. And uh, living in Sao Paulo wasn't easy for Sheena at first. It was very challenging. The first year in Sao Paulo was probably one of the most challenging years of my life, for sure. I didn't speak Portuguese at all. I had to find a job. We had to find an apartment. I was an immigrant. I had to start my whole life over again. Of course, I have some advantages, but yeah, I had to build my whole life again, for sure. So that was definitely challenging. Tom Jobim, the famous musician from Brazil, the composer of Girl From Ipanema, he once said, Brazil isn't for beginners, and it's so true. <laughs> did Sheena manage to overcome all of these challenges? Yeah, she did. Now, things got easier. She managed to learn Portuguese fluently, and after two and a half years in Sao Paulo, she managed to get a video journalism job working with the FIFA World Cup and the Rio 2016 Summer Olympics. So wow. they moved... Yeah, isn't that great? Yeah, that's uh, so, amazing. So they moved to uh, Rio de Janeiro in 2013. That must have been a great experience. Both Gina and Sandro loved their time in Rio de Janeiro, but they both echoed that saying in my conversation with them that Brazil isn't for beginners. The grind of daily life started to wear Sheena down, and the economy was starting to head into the worst recession in more than 80 years after the 2016 Olympics were over. So Sheena and Sandro moved to her hometown, Edmonton, in the summer of 2017. Okay, going from Rio de Janeiro to Edmonton, I'm sure that was a shock for Sandro now. Well, it goes without saying, just the change in weather for him is, is just as challenging <laughs> as Brazil's bureaucracy was for Sheena. For sure. It's brutal. Like, it seems like it never ends. Going and going and going and going and going and going. And, oh, it's only minus eight. Oh, no, never for the boss there. But, you know, now it's getting used to it. Right? When it's like plus two, I say, oh, that's great. And then another week was minus 36. Oh my God. So it's, it's hard. You know, it's um, something that, um, that is nothing to do on the street. You know, just go to places. That's um, something I don't really, I'm not quite comfortable, but uh, that's the way to do, right? There is no other way. But Sandro, he's finding a creative way to cope with the cold. He's learning how to play the Brazilian banjo so he can bring his culture to their backyard barbecues. He's helping me fight against these uh, similar cold weather, like frankly, because uh, I cannot go outside and, and there is no live music that I can go to, like around the corner. I used to do Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, or even Sao Paulo, downtown, and stuff like that. So I'm just trying to really fight against this cold, like a really long month like that's the endless you know like it's quite de can be depressing and then something that i'm using like uh, my really medicine uh, to fight against the the you know cold weather that i'm not quite used to and and then i have to be practicing so i think that's perfect thing to do well i think that's wonderful i i don't think it's going to bring uh, the plus 30 heat in the summer but i think it's a really wonderful thing for him to be doing yeah, absolutely. And as Sheena says, he's determined to really tackle this by summer. Whenever he decides to do something and focuses on doing something, he does it extremely well. He's doing that focus with the banjo and his target is he wants to learn 10 samba songs by summer so he can play at least an hour of music in our backyard. Hopefully our neighbors like it. I don't know. 
but yeah, that's his uh, goal. Wow, that is really beautiful. The UK, Brazil, and now Canada, they really have crossed borders with their relationship. Well, it's been quite the adventure for both of them. If it wasn't for Sandro, Sheena probably would have never lived in Brazil. I never anticipated that I would ever live in a place like Brazil. As a child, I would always see Rio de Janeiro Carnival on TV on some of the travel channels when I was in my basement in Edmonton as it was freezing outside and you'd see all this fun on TV in Carnival. And then when I actually ended up moving there, to me, that was just like, oh, my God, I, you know, I'm, I'm living in this TV show now in a way. And Sandro, too, never imagined he'd be living in a place like Edmonton when they first met. Back then, frankly, I didn't know that um, 12 years later now, I mean, I'll be living here in Canada, right? That was no part of the conversation or idea whatsoever because I was living in London, but I'm from Brazil. So no Canada in the picture whatsoever. But now here I am. He probably couldn't have, like, even found Edmonton on a map before they met. (laughs) Exactly. But knowing each other's cultures has strengthened their relationship. Um, Actually, so far, we have lived in Brazil longer than we have have lived in Canada. Right? Uh, Another thing is kind of get to see for yourself. It was actually good for our relationship in that sense as well. It was a good introduction. Now that Sheena and Sandro have put their roots down in Edmonton, are they planning on staying in Canada? Now that's an interesting question, Mark. Would we stay here forever? I don't know, but that's been the really fun thing about being with Sandra is that we're walking all over the world and we're doing it together. Thanks for bringing us Sheena and Sandro's story, Tina. It really is one that shows that love knows no borders. I was happy to. Thanks, Mark. Thanks for listening to Countless Journeys from the Canadian Museum of Immigration at Pier 21. Subscribe to Countless Journeys on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or visit podcast.pier21.ca. Sound designed by Paolo Pietro Paolo and Natasha Aziz. A big thank you to today's guests. For more about the museum, visit pier21.ca or find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. <laughs>